The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, folks. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. We're all dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. For many, that means their high school teens and returning college students are sheltered in place with them. The nest is full. Sometimes it's overflowing. How do parents cope? How do they respond to the needs of high school students who aren't doing what they expected to do? Or college students, most of whom really didn't want to come home. How do parents deal somehow with their own jobs, their own relationship? And is there a way to make space to actually create some positive family memories? Our guest today is Dr. John Duffy. He's a returning guest to Psych Up Live, and he'll be addressing these and many other questions. Dr. Duffy is a clinical psychologist, a best-selling author of The Available Parent, expert advice for raising successful, resilient, and connected teens and tweens, now in its second edition. He has been working with individuals, couples, teens, and families for over 20 years. Dr. Duffy is also the host of the highly regarded podcast, Undo Anxiety, and a regular parenting and relationship expert on Steve Harvey and WGN Radio. He appears frequently on other national and local television and radio outlets and is cited frequently in national print and online publications. Dr. John Duffy, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thanks so much for having me back, Suzanne. It's good to be talking with you again. Yeah. Let's start, John, with the challenges that high school kids and their parents are facing now that they're home with the online courses and the parents are trying to work at home. What are some of the challenges these kids are facing? Oh, there are myriad challenges. And I work with more high school kids than any others. Um, and I'm finding that they are experiencing a great deal of loss. We, we focus a lot on the class of 2020 and that they're losing these kind of benchmarks and rites and rituals of prom and graduation. But also, kids are missing out on just the regular rhythm and cadence of their day. A lot of kids are telling me the thing they miss most right now is being with their friends, having Mm. some structure to their day where they see their friends and their cohorts and their peers on a regular basis. Some of these kids even, believe it or not, miss certain teachers and classes, right? I mean, there there actually is some of that. They don't have just all this disregard for school. And overall, just connection, face-to-face, socialization, face-to-face. And and the regular things that we're talking about, missing the season, missing the play, missing the uh, prom, all of the all of these things kind of play into all of the things that are being suffered by high school students who are now in this position of quarantining with their family in a way that families, honestly, if we're being really, really honest with each other, we're not made to be quarantined together 24-7, even if we love each other and things go pretty well. 
And that's a rare family unto itself. Right. Right. It's interesting because people keep thinking, well, the kids, the high school kids love online, but they really don't love online when that's all the contact they have. Um, It's interesting. So the question becomes, how do parents help them somehow deal with a very difficult situation? Yeah. So I actually, um, I, I, I find the way that a lot of my parents that I'm working with are handling this with their kids to be very endearing, but not particularly effective. So what parents tend to do is try to talk their kids out of the way they're feeling. You know, like, oh, everything's going to be fine. If we just look to the future by next semester, I think they're going to have this figured out. Or, you know, I think we might be able to put something together during the summer that will make up for what you're missing now. And what kids really need from their parents right now is acknowledgement and validation that, you know, this this does kind of stink. And I get it, even though I don't get it. So um, because I've never been here. I've never been where you are. So I trust that this is not a whole lot of fun for you and that you're experiencing some honest loss. But tell me about it, because I'm going to make assumptions that I might be wrong about. So I am available for you to talk to me about it, and it might not be fun for me to hear, but I want you to know that you can come to me, and I want parents to keep in mind who are listening, Suzanne, that we're not in this for a short run. You know, like we don't know how long the run is going to be, but we know we're probably at best around the halfway point of this particular quarantine period. We don't even know that there won't be another. So, um... It's important that parents set an emotional tone for their household. And part of that with their high school kids is you can come to me. You need to be able to talk to me because there are some outlets for your emotions that aren't available to you right now. You can't go to your school counselor the same way you could. You can't go to your favorite teacher or even your best friend in the same way you could two months ago. So I need to be a resource for you. And that's how I want parents to look at that. Yeah. I think it's so valuable. You know how we always say, John, that pain shared is pain divided in half. Um, So the whole idea that, let's say, a captain of a basketball team is not playing or didn't get to play his season or, you know, the track star that was going to go on to college and this was going to be their season, it's not going to happen. Now, sometimes... I had sons, I used to say they were like CIA agents, you know, if they said anything to me, they'd have to kill me. So it wouldn't have come automatically, but what I say to parents and what would happen is if the parent shares what they're missing, if the parent, if you're, if you're sharing a pizza and the parent says, you know what I miss most? I miss seeing the people at work. I miss when we used to go for walks in between. It may open up the conversation for a kid. Or they might even say, I, I, was, I was missing and I am missing seeing you, you know, play that last game that last lacrosse game, that may give the youngster an opening to know it's safe to talk about it. Absolutely. I love everything about that. And I I agree 100%. Um, And I think too many parents are kind of withholding about their own emotion, fearing that it's stacking something on top of their kid's emotion instead of like giving them permission to share. And I think um, it's important. I encourage exactly like you're talking about, I encourage parents to talk about their losses, what they're missing, 
Um, first, it humanizes a mom or a dad, right? You know, okay, you're not just robotic and telling me, you know, to do certain things in certain ways because that's going to work. You're going through what I'm going through. You can relate at least to some extent. So I am going to share this with you. I am going to tell you the people that I'm missing, the events that I'm missing, how um, deep a loss I feel, even if I don't know anybody who's sick from this virus or dying from it, you know, that there's a lot going on in the background that I'm experiencing. And I think parents, the more forthcoming we are and the more we make it a discussion, just like you're describing, you know, um, I think kids like to be helpers to some extent too and listeners and they're pretty good at brainstorming. And so they may have some thoughts for you, mom or dad, that you might not be thinking of too. So I don't think there's a lose in sharing with your kids what you're going through. Brilliant idea. You know, it fits also, you and I spoke a little bit about this issue um, when we were preparing for the show, that whole idea of, you mentioned, and I think it's so true, some parents in their anxious attempt, John, to make everything okay, they automatically set up a routine for the kids instead of letting them sort of feel their way into this strange situation we're all in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, um, and, and listen, I will cop to this, Suzanne. I'm going to, uh, I'll bear my soul for just a moment. When this all started, I was encouraging that. You know, I think about the, the advice that I was giving six or eight weeks ago to parents. And a lot of it had to do with kind of hyper-structuring the day and getting as much done as a family as you can and making sure that all the work gets done and that you come up with some projects as a family that are going to be, um, you know, kind of galvanizing for years to come. And um, I think those are wildly unrealistic expectations. And I don't know if they're the best story you can write as a family. Right now, I think just being supportive of one another might reflect the best story we can write, you know? So um, I am finding that um, what's happening in families as the weeks and the months pass, um, it's changing dramatically and rapidly within households. And so um, I, I do find my, my uh, advice to parents and to my, my high school um, uh, you know, uh, students who I'm working with I find my advice changing fairly dramatically and rapidly as time goes on and as um, things start to break down a little bit in a lot of households. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that um, some parents have said works is to sort of use an approach like, I'm going to work because I'm online with the office. I'm going to work for a few hours in the morning and then I'm going to take a run. What's your plan? So that without forcing them or telling them what to do, you sort of model, um, you know, some schoolwork or what what courses do you have? Is there going to be any free time for you this afternoon? Is very different than did you do the advanced bio? Because you know you miss have you see we can't get into you know creating anxiety because we then lose them. But right. I think the parents are also resetting up routines in a way that they never had it before. Everyone's managing time in a very different way. Yeah, none of us have been through anything like this before. So we are kind of really inventing the wheel as we go. But I love that idea of, you know, taking shame out of the way our kids set up their days and really reflecting to them, here's how I'm going to set up mine 
This is new to me. I may change it tomorrow, but this is what I think is going to work for me today. What, what's your plan for the day? Instead of saying, you know, like, I bet you don't have another plan for today, you know, like I, you know, um, and another day is going to pass by without any work getting done. And I hear that from parents a lot. And I think mm-hmm. we back off that and we take some of the shame away because our kids are inventing their wheels as well. And they're a little disenchanted, I think, with e-learning. It feels a little removed. It feels a little um, odd to them. And they, they, a lot of kids who function really, really well in the structured school environment are struggling, um, by and large, in the unstructured home environment. And so it's taking them a little while to get acclimated, to find that time when it's the right time for them to start and how much time to commit to this. And so I think if we can present a little bit of model, a little bit of guidance, and a little bit of latitude that, you know, like, this isn't going to be perfect right away, and it may not be perfect between now and the end of the school year, but let's do what we can, just like I'm doing with work or with housework or whatever it is that we, uh, mom and dad, are engaged in, why don't we do this for you as well? And we will be available to you as allies and guides and consultants, but not as shamers in kind of helping you through all this. Mm. It's, um, have you heard parents say that kids actually, and parents have been shocked as I've heard it, they're shocked the kids actually want to do puzzles with them, or they're shocked that the kids <laughs> actually want to watch Seinfeld with them. I think we, we make the assumptions the kids, and maybe they really were, their balance was the school day and their friends online, but now they don't have the banter, the face-to-face banter. So I hear over and over again kids who are wanting to play some games or one one or two nights a week want to watch some TV with the parents. I think, as you're saying, no assumption should be made about how the kids are reacting, and maybe that's more important than studying all night. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of us are reticent to admit that there are some parts of this that are not awful um, in, in a nod to the uh, pandemic, right? But the truth of the matter is there is potential for an awful lot of connection to happen within families if we allow for that to happen. And I'm right where you are, Suzanne. I, I encourage parents not to make assumptions about how their kids feel, whether they're going to want to spend time with them, and even if they've been aloof and removed and up in their rooms with the door closed for months or years, kids want to connect. And right now, there's this great opportunity for families because you're the people that they can connect with face-to-face. You are the only people for, for this moment that they can connect to face-to-face. And the kids want to regress and play and treat this a little bit like a prolonged spring break. So... Um, think of fun things to do with them. And I work with teenagers who often start on the note of, you know, no, I don't want to do anything with you guys. You're boring. You're nerds. You know, I, I, I want nothing to do with it. 10 minutes later, they're playing tag out in the yard or they're watching Seinfeld or Parks and Rec, or they're Mm -hmm. doing a, doing a puzzle or playing Monopoly, things that they would normally never do. Um, and part of it might start with the fact that they have few options. But most kids tell me they really enjoy some of the time with their family, and it's nice for them to see their parents in a different light than they're used to seeing them. So this is another angle on this whole thing that I wasn't aware was coming. If they're used to seeing their parents in this mode of you know, work and um, 
and asking them only about grades. Now, we're all in a little bit of a different mode, and so kids might see their parents being a little more playful, a little more silly. Um, I'm working with a, a few kids who are making these TikTok videos with their parents mm-hmm. where they do a dance or they, they lip sync some songs together. <laughs> and these kids can't believe that their parents have a sense of humor at all, <laughs> that it's they could great. possibly be fun, you know? So, um, and I think that kind of helps build family resilience over time, knowing like, oh, we have this potential to, to connect in this way. And without this time, if we're being honest, a lot of us might never, ever have the opportunity to learn this about themselves. Mm-hmm. So there is some upside here. It's true. So let's let's um, complicate the plot a little with the mother who says, I'm in my room working and I know they're bringing friends over and I don't know how to handle that. Yeah, this is... Um, this is really, really difficult, and our inclination is, you know, to lecture, right? Because it's an easy lecture. You know, how could you be so selfish? People are suffering, they're sick, and some people are dying because of what's happening here, and you're putting all of that at risk. Um, I'm not finding that to be, as you might guess, a particularly useful approach. Um, what I do find useful is to start by acknowledging, I know this is so weird for you. And it must be so hard to be without your friends. And if you think about it, whether you're talking about middle school, high school, college age kids, they're used to seeing their friends virtually every day. This is very, very strange and trying for them not to be uh, engaged in those connections on a really, really regular basis. And so we have to acknowledge that desire to want to do that and how hard it is not to be able to. Um, I am working with some parents and kids who are working together um, in a solution-oriented way to help figure out, like, how can you have a little bit of time with your friends? So I'll, I'll come over to your best friend's house and I will help you with, like, a little bit of a social distancing play date. Um, some kids I'm working with are engaging in these, um, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with these, uh, they call them um, trunk parties, where if, they all, if everyone's 16, they go to a parking lot and park in a circle, but everybody has to sit in their trunk so that they are distanced far enough. <laughs> okay. And they can sit and talk and hang out with each other. It's great. And, yeah, isn't that fun? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I think, like, what a clever way for kids to get together in a safe way. Now, you know, some parents are absolutely against that, but I'm encouraging parents to think creatively like this. This doesn't have to be the only idea, but to allow your kids some time with their friends, even if it's a little inorganic and take some thinking, it really does take the edge off of missing out on everything that would happen socially. Yeah, and it, it's. I guess if we find some creative ways we're not going to have a situation with uh, someone sneaking out at night to meet the boyfriend um we're better off with helping them creatively solve it in one case there was a socially distanced date that is the young man came over he had to be in one part of the yard the girls in the other part of the yard Mm -hmm. and the mother was at the window (laughs) <laughs> so, so, but in some ways it met some needs it's what you're yes. saying the creative meeting of some needs yeah so so it might not be ideal but it does it kind of scratches the itch for the time being right um i get that it's awkward and it's different but it, it can work right and it can carry 
your children through some of that that um, vacuous uh, loss of connection, you know, that is so very important to them. And if you can provide your child some connection during this time, first of all, you're putting something in the emotional bank account with them. So they will recognize you did something for them. You bent over backwards a little bit to facilitate them getting something they need, but also they're getting something they need. And, and so they might be less difficult around the house. They might uh, bounce back a little more readily when we get back to something more like mm-hmm. normal on the back mm-hmm. end of all this. There's mm-hmm. a whole lot of positives if we can create creative ways to find connection for our kids. I mm-hmm. love your boyfriend-girlfriend suggestion. <laughs> We, we actually have to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. John Duffy. He's a clinical psychologist and the best-selling author of The Available Parent. We're talking of ways for parents and teens and returning college students to cope in a sheltered-down situation that so many are facing with this pandemic. Stay with us. More to come. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. John Duffy, and we're speaking about 
parents and college kids and high school kids all coping under the same roof in a very difficult situation, how we can do even more than making the best of it. Um, So, John, one of the things I mentioned was that there seems to be some surprise and a little bit of conflict at times between parents and kids. Many high school seniors know what school they've made. And it could be a name school or the school they wanted, but the kids themselves don't want to go far. They want to go local. Some of them say, I don't want to be in Michigan doing online courses. I'd rather be home. Um, Some would rather be anywhere than home. But the issue becomes for many parents, and you know how we can all get into the helicopter parent mode, this was what it was all about making it into Michigan State or uh, Tufts or wherever it was going to be. And now how is their kid going to not go for it? Right, right. And um, it's so trying for parents, right? Because I think it's hard for us, first of all, to separate our wishes and our wants and our needs from those of our kids, right? Because as our kids uh, mature, we start to gain a vision for what we picture an ideal life for them to be. And sometimes that's Michigan State and Tufts. And so if our kids shapeshift in the in the wake of something urgent or just from preference to being closer to home or picking a different school, that doesn't fulfill part of our vision. And so we have to reconcile that without laying too hard into our child's choice. Um, this is a little bit of a different situation because I'm working with a lot of kids who are considering being closer to home in part because they recognize, ooh, next semester might not be what I'm picturing. And I've, I've already been disappointed about this semester, you know, so I'm not interested in feeling that again. So I'll come close to home, hedge my bets. And if I need to, I will just do those uh, virtual classes and maybe I'll work a job. Um, but they're kind of trying to titrate the degree to which they're disappointed. Mm, that's interesting. And, right? And, um, and that's what I think a lot of our new-to-be-college students or current college students are doing when they're talking about either starting close to home or transferring close to home is like, you know, and there's a little bit of anxiety also about like, I don't want, I don't want this virus. I mean, they're mm-hmm. being honest, you know, like, um, and so... Um, we don't love, I think, that our kids make decisions from a place of fear, um, and I totally understand that, and yet um, kids have some leg to stand on. So this is, I, I think parents today are stuck with a very difficult conversation to have with their kids, but one, once again, that can enrich their relationships with their kids, to really sit down and on a much deeper level than parents did a year or two or three ago, talk about like, okay, so what is the meaning behind this decision for you? Mm-hmm. And um, right, and, and what's the purpose? And what what would be, being closer mean to you? What would being further away mean to you? And I'll talk a little bit about what it means to me. And let's see if we can kind of figure this out together. So this becomes this collaboration and this brainstorming where we're truly working together. We're not at odds with one another. Uh, the trick for parents is to do a lot of listening, a lot of acknowledging, a lot of validating, and making sure that they understand where their kids are coming from. Because sometimes your kids will have a perfectly reasonable point, and sometimes it'll sound like, mm, 
I don't know if you need to be worried about that, or I'm not sure that's a reasonable concern in this circumstance, but you need to have an open line of communication in order to have this discussion effectively. I'm Mm -hmm. witnessing parents really rising to this occasion, and these become not just great decisions about like what school do I go to, but really good kind of like um, setting the, the tone for the parent-child relationship going forward as adults now. Um, so it's no small thing, the opportunity to connect with your child around these decisions. I don't know always, and I can't tell you in every case what the better decision is, uh, but I am finding that kids who make decisions that aren't based solely in fear seem more comfortable now with the decisions they've made. Mm-hmm. There's less distance involved. Also, some of the thing, some of the time we don't recognize that if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. We'll rethink it. That is, there yes. are options to change things. Yes, yes. This is uh, such. I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. We do have the ability to change our minds, and um, it's a really important lesson for our young people to learn that, you know, like, you can make a decision, and it doesn't always have to be right, and we can, we can shapeshift, we can change things, we, you know, and this is true not just now in the college world, though this is a great template for it, but when you're out in the workplace, you mm-hmm. know, you may find, a, you know, oh, I don't love this field. Okay, well, let's start to work our way into another career, you know, like these... Mm-hmm. So um, that flexibility in thinking and the idea of resilience and frustration tolerance and competence and all these kind of social emotional skills that we want our kids to learn, this is the unique opportunity and the unique time for us to help facilitate them learning those things. They may not learn calculus or everything we want them to learn in the classroom in these couple of months, but they can learn a lot of social and emotional skills and what they're made of in terms of competence and resilience during this time. Mm-hmm. So now let's go to the returning college students. I just want to share one mother said, oh, I'm so happy. All my children are home together. I don't know if that's how our children felt. Another mother said, this is like a nightmare Thanksgiving. It never ends. There are dishes all over and no one goes home. <laughs> so, everybody can picture that because, you know, everybody comes home for Thanksgiving. So what? it's it. Meanwhile, the kids and we, we mentioned it at the break. Many college kids came home very tentative because they had figured out a way to be independent. Some were living in the dorm for the first time away, but some actually upperclassmen might have finally had the apartment that they were waiting to have, sharing it with other people. So coming home at the beginning meant I'll live in my bedroom, I'll leave notes on the door, I'm not eating with these people. I know how to feed myself. So there was a lot of symbolic need and a lot of time was needed or some time was needed before they could relax enough to know you can come home and you can leave again. Yes. Yes. Boy, do you have your finger on the pulse of the family with a college student (laughs) because you are describing exactly what I'm running into day to day with these families. And I think it's so difficult. And if we think back to when we were that age, um, you establish a sense of independence and you no longer are fearful about it, but you're actually wearing it pretty well, right? And then 
the rug is taken out from underneath you and you are back in your childhood room right uh, in that bed and you know and you're kind of like beholden to household rules again it's a big loss there's a big step backwards and it is incredibly frustrating for young people to not be able to control their lives and so and on top of that in the midst of a pandemic they can't control their lives right in other words like if they're just like i want to get out of here and go see my friends for a while because you, my family, you're just driving me crazy. Mm, sorry, you can't do that either. So our, their options are incredibly limited. So the frustration just builds and builds and builds over these weeks, right? So um, we need to give them some outlet for letting some of this out. I'm finding that um, college kids who are older than freshmen, who are already kind of establishing that sense of independence, are taking really well to therapy, which suggests to me that parents can be de facto therapists for their kids. And mm -hmm. I encourage this. I encourage parents to, to sit down with their kids and say, you know, wow, when I was your age, I was feeling this. I was feeling super independent. I was glad to be out of the house. You know, whatever, whatever it is that you were feeling, to be really honest about it, and then let the line out on your own child and let him or her express what this is like for them. And sometimes, and I think you and I both know this, we cannot solve the problem for them. The best we can do is acknowledge and validate that, yes, we get it, it's real, um, and we are going to plan for a future that's different. But for now, yes, we are sorry you're going through this, and let us know what you need given an imperfect situation. And that's a pretty good adult conversation to have with your adult child. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things in terms of the matchup of the kids' needs and the parents' needs is uh, people have hit a wall when they've said, well, now you're home. These are the chores. That doesn't seem to work. A, they don't want to be home. It's not their home <laughs> from, the, from their perspective. <laughs> so you're almost better always saying, could you give me a hand? Could you lend me a hand in the yard? Could you lend me a hand with the vacuuming? So that you're respecting that I know you don't live here generally anymore, but I'm a little bit over the, over the line with be it the dishes or whatever it happens to be. So you know, in some ways, you almost have to treat them with more respect as more in a more adult kind of way. Absolutely. One, one thing that I've been surprised about and parents have reported is they actually want to have dinner. I think, in fact, John, that across the country, more people are eating dinner together than they have in 20 years because everyone's living together and it almost doesn't matter if it's a grilled cheese sandwich or cold cereal. People show up at dinner time. And so this it seems to me most successful when people say, uh, you want to take a day and dinner is yours and it could be cold cereal and they get into it a little bit. But it seems like what you said before, they miss the banter. They miss contact. Yes. And even their parents or someone they'll sit with, they want they want to be with someone. It's hard to be isolated. Yes. Um, right. So um, to contradict, eh, not contradict, but just add to what we've been saying so far. First of all, I think you're absolutely right about like kind of chores and work that needs to be done around the house. Really, parents, we need to attend to the way that we um, talk to our adult children because they are not 14 and they're not 15 and they're not 11. And so to say, I need you to do this and, I'm, and these are the house rules, 
That might have worked a generation ago, but these kids are smart and discerning. So um, we need to be really clear that, you know, like um, the way we use language, you know, to ask, like, you know, hey, I could really use your hand when you get a chance. This is the way adults interact. So we need to shift the way we talk to our adult kids. I also agree with you wholeheartedly. Not only are families eating together, but I'm finding that a lot of kids are getting into the idea of meal preparation. They're oh, cooking in great. ways that they, and, and, and so there is another great fringe benefit here to, you know, like the creating a family atmosphere and a set of not just memories out of this time, because we all know our kids are going to remember this odd period of time for the rest of their lives. So we're no, we know they're going to remember there was a pandemic. But we also want them to remember some fond family memories. And there's an opportunity to create some of those. Not that you're going to make them every single night. You know, if your kids are up in their rooms on some nights and they're surly and they're emo and they just don't want anything to do with you, that's perfectly normal. But if you get an opportunity to play the game or to make the meal together or to sit after the meal and just have the conversation about politics or the virus or what's on Netflix right now, absolutely engage in that because these are the memories that might build resilience for your family that you might need 10 or 15 years from now um, that um, is invaluable, will prove to be invaluable no matter what. So I strongly, strongly encourage that. There's, there's one other thing that people are doing that actually makes me laugh when I see it, and that is if you ask your kids, do you want to walk the dog with me? Most people say yes. So when I go running, I see, you know, it, it was called pack walks, which would mean one person with a lot of dogs. Now I see six family members and one small dog. <laughs> so <laughs> the packs are now the people, but they're all family members. But we're, it's much easier to say, let's go walk the dog than let's talk. Absolutely. Yes. And I see the same thing. You know, I'm seeing families with kids of various ages, you know, like the teenagers um, all the way down to toddlers who are out there walking the dog. Uh, I've seen a couple of families jogging together, riding bikes together, uh, playing tag in their yard, which surprised me. Mm. I would think, what teenager is going to agree to that? But a lot of teenagers right now are willing to do things like that, um, to be silly with their family. And there is this the kids are telling me, not in these words, but effectively they're telling me, this is an opportunity for me to regress. This is a weird opportunity for me to be a kid again and not worry about what I'm going to wear to school tomorrow and not think about how I'm going to present on social media because nobody's got anything going on. So I can just relax all that identity stuff and just be with my family. What a, what a breath of fresh air this is. Yes. Yes, it's true. Um, one of the things that um, comes up, and it's we're going to pick it up on the other side of the break, is with all the focus on the teens and the college co-eds, John, sometimes I've been dealing with couples that have had a problem, the parents, and that is their focus has gone to so many needs of so many people that they've sort of lost each other in the in the shuffle mm -hmm. that is contact with each other. And so the question that I want us to bring up is, as you're meeting everyone's needs and you're also online for work, how do parents make sure their own relationship continues to get nurtured, mm -hmm. even as they're putting out the fires and cooking and whatever, everything else? Because I actually think it's no gift to the kids 
if the focus is parent, kid, parent, college age, and they never see the, the, the parents watching a show alone or they never see the parents showing some sort of connection or affection. Agreed. Yep. Yep. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. John Duffy. He's a clinical psychologist. His best-selling books in the second edition, The Available Parent. When we come back, we're going to be talking again about not only the parent-teen and the parent-college student relationship, but how do the parents make sure their own relationship stays solid through this very difficult time? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. John Duffy, and we're talking about parents sheltered, with teens and college-age students who have returned in this pandemic that we're all living through. And I just was asking, John, 
One of the things that I worry about and that I've seen is um, the parents having a strained relationship, even as they're trying very hard to meet the needs of their job requirements as well as mostly their kids. So the question is, how really great is it to, if the parents save the fighting to fight together and the kids have to hear them fighting, um, what about the possibility of some couple time? How do you do all that in a house full of kids and with the anxiety about taking care of kids? It's, uh, it, it's so much to ask of parents and uh, of, of couples, um, right? Because the asks just pile on each other, right? You're supposed to be teachers. You're supposed to get your work done. You're supposed to keep the household running. And you're supposed to tend to your own relationship. But um, I'm finding that tending to that primary relationship uh, tends to be the thing that falls away the easiest. Yep. And yet, this is where we tend to recharge our batteries. So um, I worry that parents aren't getting their own needs met by just telling their story. I mean, let's face it, we're all idling on high, we're anxious, this is a pandemic, and we need to talk to one another. And, we, and we've got somebody right there in the house, most of us, that we can speak with. And so I encourage parents to protect a little bit of time, whether we're having a cup of coffee, we're waiting till the kids go to bed, we're getting up before they do, to talk to one another, share with each other what this is like with for each other, because the couples I'm working with right now are under-communicating with one another. And so part of their stress is building up between them. There's some ill will building up between them because they don't feel heard by one another. And, and they're each other's biggest ally and asset. So one thing to remember is we're modeling for our kids what we want relationships to look like. And they're seeing our relationship now more than ever. Um, and for us, it's balancing and centering to have that communication with our spouse or our intimate partner. And we're going to need this for a while. You know, this is, this is going to be a fairly long haul and our anxiety is high, our energy tends to be pretty low. So in order to stay balanced and sustain that, we need to connect with one another, share with one another, and lean on each other. And we're modeling that all the way through, and I think there's only wins in that. Mm. You know, it's interesting. We've said throughout the show that many of the expectations parents had, they're realizing don't really fit in this situation. So often the conflict is it may be the mom who's saying, I don't think I don't think he's just doing enough homework. I know he I know he listened to the courses, but you know what? These are AP courses or whatever. And the dad's saying, give it a break. Mm-hmm. Let him be. And so they're fighting. And so we I think you and I are, are sort of putting out there, you just diluted anything good for the kid. Because when kids are in a setting where there's contention between the parents, they stop being safe. No longer safe. Hundred percent. So we we've got to think about let it go because if you're going to give a gift to the kid, your relationship and the fact that you're getting along with the cup of coffee, as you said, or laughing at a show, or just deciding, no, we got the dog, we got him covered, we don't need a gang to walk now. That actually, kids love that. They yes. love seeing parents together. Yes, of course. I mean, there you you mentioned the word safety for kids a number of times during this. Uh, discussion and that makes kids feel safe as well, right? To see 
that, that their parents are doing well and getting along together. And that doesn't mean that they have to be right next to their parents watching, just knowing that their parents are out for a walk or having some coffee or taking a break, you know, just taking a drive, whatever it is. Um, that is really, really healthy. It's unhealthy for us to be together all the time. So that break is actually creates a natural tension release as well. But the, the idea that there's an element of safety in there, we cannot dismiss that. That is an absolute reality. You know, one of the other things that come, came to mind when I was thinking about people sheltered together is that I think people need a balance of private time, social or intimate time, and work time. And I think everyone's balance is different. I think that there are some kids who need much more social time than others. That's true of parents, too. I think some people could work for hours. <laughs> others can never do that. So I think the parents have to take that into account for themselves, for themselves as a couple, as well as with all the guests they have now. Absolutely. Um, and, and you're so right that it takes some consideration about the style of everybody in the home. In the last 24 hours, Suzanne, I've talked to somebody who is um, very introverted, and she said, you know, this actually does not work that badly for me. I actually <laughs> acclimate to this very well, um, so I may want to adopt some of what's happening in my life now into the future, whereas on the other hand, I worked with a young man who is home with his family, and he realizes I'm an extroverted person, um, I'm okay talking with my family, but I need to be close to people an awful lot of the time. So I thought that this would be a great situation for me. I get to be home a lot of the time. I get to relax a lot of the time. And I can't stand this. I need to be around people. So to consider mm. and discuss the styles and what works best, that also helps alleviate some of the tension and foster a degree of understanding amongst the people, even in the household. And that's no small thing. Mm. It, it, I think that validation of, um, you know, the question, it's a myth to think introverts don't need connection. They just need it to a different degree Correct. than someone who's an extrovert. But I think when someone's able to tell you this does or doesn't work for me and someone hears it, that's a very big step. Yes, no doubt about it. And I think the hearing it is the big part. And, um, you know, I think the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges for families right now is to do an awful lot of listening to one another um, and really trusting that you're getting uh, good information from each other about your styles and recognizing it, accepting it, and adapting the nature of how the household works to make sure everyone's style, as best we can, is accommodated for. So when we, if we go back to the parents for a minute, there's a very big trap of getting into scapegoating in this sense. So they're all watching... Um, some war movie or some movie, not probably not a war movie, some movie that kids have seen 5,000 times that everyone mm -hmm. knows. Every, yeah. So dad's watching it with the kids and the kids go, why does mom never watch this with us? Now, that's he's right there at the crossroads. If he goes, well, she's a party pooper. Or she, he can go to criticizing mom or he could say, you know, mom, she likes her private time. She's happy. She's inside sewing. So that I think... When we're back again with our kids and they're not tiny and now they're almost adults themselves, be wary. Be wary. They don't want you to really criticize mom. They, they would prefer that you say, you know, mom, she yep. thinks we're nuts watching this movie. So I think 
you know, the, the competitive piece that can get going with parents serves nobody well. I think you are 100% right, and um, I have run into situations in the last couple of months where a parent, for lack of a nice clinical way to package it, throws the other parent under the bus in precisely the way you're talking about, and um, you're right, that does nothing for the family, that doesn't create any sense of comfort or safety for anybody, and it creates dissent among the parents, and this, this is just disconcerting for the entire household. But to explain, like, that's mom style. She does not want, she would not have anything to gain from being here (laughs) and watching this. She's not interested in this. We think this is fun or funny. And there's some things that you do with her that I have no interest in. And that balance is perfectly fine. And to explain that is no small deal uh, because I'm working with fragmented households. And they're fragmented in part because of this very thing where one parent, kind of drops another parent under the bus and there is no space to do that, especially at a time like this. Mm. It's really important that parents show utmost respect and support and love for one another. You know, even if you're Mm. going through a little bit of difficulty, as so many marriages and intimate relationships are, um, it's really important that the kids see the good stuff, right? You know, you do not want to air every argument in front of the children. This is not good for them. And it's not modeling good things for them. Absolutely, especially the modeling part. So if you were to, we have we have parents out there who are with um, teens. We have parents out there who are with teens and college kids. We have college kids out there. Mm. We have graduate students probably too. So what would be your take-home message? How does everybody shelter together in the middle of a pandemic in a way that keeps everyone somewhat sane and even healthy, John? Yes. Okay. So I have a couple pieces of advice here. I'll be brief. Um, The first is recognize that some time together in that household is great, but as lovely as your family might be, as much as you might love them, no family is intended to be together the way our families are together right now. So protect some time together. Also, just as heartily, protect some time apart. And that's super important. I want to, I want people to really hear that. Um, some time apart is okay. It is not a failure. No family is going to be doing this perfectly. And that's how we keep things emotionally regulated. The other thing I want people to be aware of is there are positive takeaways that you can create during this time. So Um, I'm afraid that people are going to come to me six months from now and reflect back on, ooh, we were all together. We could have done something special with that time. We could have made something of that. We could have fostered connections or put some of the frayed connections back together at least a little bit. And we didn't even attend to those. Now is there, there, there's opportunity to work on your relationships and you can do it in bits and pieces. You don't have to say, to the child you're struggling with, let's sit down for a couple of hours and hash this out. You can do it in five-minute segments here and there, and I encourage that. I encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to connect. You could not possibly regret doing that. Perfect. So, Dr. Duffy, how would people find you, and how would they find your book, The Available Parent? Yeah, so um, uh, my website is drjohnduffy.com. My book, The Available Parent, and my second book, which came out last year, Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety, is is out um, on Amazon right now, and you can buy them through my website as well, drjohnduffy.com, and 
everything about me is either there or at Dr. John Duffy on Facebook or at Dr. John Duffy on Twitter or Instagram. Okay. Um, thank you again, Dr. Duffy, for joining us on Psych Up Live to share your wisdom about parents and kids. And we'll definitely take a look at that new book. Congratulations on that. Thanks so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, the podcast app of your iPhone, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, TuneIn, Google Play, all of them. By 6 p.m. Eastern Time, this will be a podcast that you can listen to and share and pass on to others. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe, shelter safely. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.